When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We spent 2020 adjusting to a new pandemic normal. Many of us just staying at home in a state of self-quarantine. Now, as two COVID-19 vaccines have begun to be distributed in the United States, we are one step closer to pre-pandemic life. But you know what? After months inside, our social skills may be a bit rusty. If you're finding the idea of being around people in a social setting again a bit awkward, you're not alone. Research suggests that the isolation we've been in can affect our social skills. Without regular practice, our ability to read social cues and accurately interpret body language can start to dull. As we wait for widespread vaccination during the coldest months of the year, people may be feeling more alone than ever. So today, I wanted to reshare an episode that had a big impact on me, on a topic that is on so many people's minds. What is all this isolation really doing to us? On today's episode, my conversation from September with Stephanie Cassiopo. She's director of the Brain Dynamics Laboratory at the University of Chicago. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. We thought we were good at reading others' facial expressions, but actually we might have uh, lost this ability during COVID. Stephanie Cassiopo has done a lot of research on loneliness and what happens to the brain when people go from social isolation to social connection. For years, the early studies of loneliness thought that loneliness was just an aversive signal, uh, a pathology with no redeeming feature right? No Mm. purpose. But now we know that loneliness has a purpose. It's a biological signal, just like thirst, a signal to tell us that we need to do something with our body or social environment to survive. So you receive this signal that you're socially thirsty, if I may keep the analogy. So you want to Mm. approach others and you say, yes, I have a great chance to learn from others and, and feel better about myself and have a purpose. And then you arrive and and read body language and facial expressions, and you think that you're still able to do so. But the problem and the paradox is that if you're by yourself for weeks or months, like we've been in COVID, the brain of a lonely person has been lonely for so long that it turned into a survival mode. So it focuses now on negative traits. So when you meet your friends, Even the subtle signals, like someone's going to raise an eyebrow. If you're lonely, you will misinterpret this signal as a judgment, right? And I see you smile. I think that rings a bell, right, Dr. Gupta? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you you, you take what would otherwise be an innocuous sort of body language and you you start to read into things and you, you become a little bit paranoid. And the idea that I would still lapse into this awkwardness, I think, at my age... I I just think was surprising to me. The beauty of the brain, it's its plasticity. 
It can mm. learn and unlearn all the time. The brain is pretty simple and it uses the biological rule, use it or lose it. If you don't use a cognitive function, why would you uh, keep it, right? Like at home, if you're in your uh, study and working in your office at home, why would you keep the light on in the kitchen? Well, the brain does the same. If you don't use the kitchen area of the brain, if I may say, why should the brain keep the light on there? So if you're by yourself and you don't meet anyone, why should the social areas that are important for facial recognition or reading others' facial uh, emotions, why should the brain keep light on there? Instead, the brain's going to try to save energy for your survival and focus only energy in the brain areas that you really need. And especially we need a lot of energy in the brain areas that control frustration, emotional regulation, <laughs> and uh, impulse, all these things. What is specifically happening in the brain then during this time when we may not be having as much social interaction? Are there measurable objective changes that occur in the brain? Yes, absolutely. We know that from studies um, in animals that some brain areas will shrink. So we can see a cell death uh, after a few months in some areas of the brain, like the hippocampus, that is important for memory, spatial or, or orientation, or even emotional regulation. And so after weeks, if people feel like they, they, they get angry more easily or irritated or have memory loss, even short-term memory, it's normal. It could be a sign of loneliness. Let me give you a couple of other examples. For instance, the locust is this fascinating insect that can go from social to solitary. And so the locust, when it's social, it has all this brain activity in areas that are important for communication. They communicate through touch. So the areas important for touch will be hyperactivated. And when it becomes solitary, it, the brain of the locust shrinks by 30%. Wow. It's huge. But the beauty of it, Dr. Gupta, is that um, it's not the entire brain that shrinks. It's only the areas that are not needed. Again, the rule, use it or lose it. And so, for instance, the areas that are not needed for tactile communication will shrink. But the areas that are important for survival will be more activated. And what do you need when you're by yourself as a locust <laughs> to make sure that you, your life is safe? You need a big vision, right? So you need a big visual cortex to be able to detect uh, predators at a distance. So, so the, in the case of the locust, the brain will actually change and, and even have shrinkage in some areas by up to 30%. Does this, does this translate into humans? Yes, absolutely. So I met a few years ago at a scientific conference, uh, Dr. Robert King, who uh, spent 29 years in solitary confinement. Hmm. He was convicted, uh, I believe, in 1973 for a crime he didn't commit. And he reports having wow. experienced this uh, memory loss and uh, emotional dysregulation that are expected after so many years in confinement uh, because of the, the uh, shrinkage of the hippocampus, possibly. And also what was fascinating in, from a scientific viewpoint, and he too reported as very striking, for a, a few uh, months he said that he lost the ability to recognize faces. 
Isn't interesting? While he was in jail, he couldn't recognize faces. The hypothesis based on what we know of the biology of the brain is that it's totally possible that the areas that are important for facial recognition were not activated because they were not needed. But the beauty of the brain, again, is that as soon as he um, uh, returned to society, he was able to recognize faces again. I mean, that, that, that is remarkable that the brain can change that fast in response to some sort of external stimuli like that. We think about organic changes in the brain because of a stroke or a tumor or trauma, but you're saying just because of the change in social interaction, there were, there were objective changes in the brain. Now I think about it in the context of, of COVID, and, and I wonder, what do you think is, is happening to so many people around the world when we're, when we're in this environment where we've gone from being social creatures to more solitary? Even if we're with our families, we are still far more solitary. What do you, what do you think is going to happen? Well, um, I think it was a, a phenomenal social reset for the brain. We unlearn things that we, um, we used to know, and uh, people might discover new symptoms of uh, loneliness. Like uh, we know that when you are isolated for so long uh, and the brain needs social connections, and uh, that's why we tend to anthropomorphize. So um, if uh, we start um, to, to talk to our coffee machine, it's totally normal. <laughs> as long as you know it's a coffee machine, Dr. Gupta. <laughs> Have you been talking to your coffee machine out there? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, but is the idea, again, like I think about my kids, for example, I mean, should we be worried that they're mainly doing virtual schooling? I mean, I, I have my own concerns about virtual versus in-person classes just in terms of the quality of their education, but in terms of the quality of their, their social skills. So we can see it um, um, two ways. We can see uh, the positive and the negative lens. I will say that learning new skills is always an advantage for the brain. Uh, the only tricky part is there is a time lag uh, online because of the synchrony and the delay with the Wi-Fi that we don't have in real life. So the brain has to adjust to this new temporal scale and dynamics. And so um, if we spend more time online than face-to-face uh, -face with our, our friends and family, it will take more time for us to realign with our, our loved ones when we are face-to-face. Uh, -face. So what should we be doing now? I've been having a lot of FaceTime conversations now with my parents. You know, they're, they're not seeing as many faces and they want to see ours. And uh, is, is that a good substitute? So um, it's a temporary substitute, yes, and it's very good. Um, another thing that we can do to, uh, to help our, our loved ones or um, older citizens um, who feel lonely is to ask them for help. Ask them for help. Yes, because it's, again, from an evolutionary viewpoint, we have evolved based on mutual aid and protection. And it's all about reciprocity. So, for instance, our parents have helped us all our life, right? And they still are our parents. Even when we are 50 or 60, they still see us as their kids. And... Uh, <laughs> And they want to help, right? And so that can go a very long way because they will still feel that they have a purpose in life. I, I think that's really good advice, I think, for anybody listening. 
you know, when you're talking about the, the impact on social skills and you're using previous research, for example, on, on people who've been in solitary confinement, those were different circumstances than when the entire world is going through a pandemic. So it's not just you that is experiencing this, but the people that you will subsequently interact with have also experienced this, right? How do you, how do you contextualize that? For the lonely brain, it's actually reassuring that we have this collective identity and we can all go through this uh, shared pain all together. And we know that sharing emotional pain can be um, extremely constructive for uh, our evolution. So I think it's a good thing that we are not alone in this and we are all together. I do hope this provides some reassurance to anyone out there who's been feeling like their in-person conversations have been less satisfying recently, or that they're particularly vulnerable to loneliness. It's important to remember that loneliness and feeling socially anxious as we come out of quarantine is perfectly normal. There's something else I want to remind you of. The vaccine rollout is a super hopeful sign of better days to come. But it also doesn't mean you can throw your mask away anytime soon. We've got to continue to take these proper precautions. It'll give you the peace of mind that you're doing your best to stay safe and that you're avoiding passing on the virus to others. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening. Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episodes were produced by Anne Lagamayo, Rachel Cohn, Emily Liu, Aaron Mathewson, Madeline Thompson, Jordan Gosporé, Zach St. Louis, and Zoe Saunders. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Nathan Miller is our engineer. And David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.